Would you please join with me in prayer? Lord, we come to you with open hearts and open minds right now to receive from you what you would have for us as we continue to walk through this series on emotionally healthy relationships and loving others well. Father, do a good work in us as we dive into James this morning. And as we do so, help us to know you and follow you as never before. Take our minds now. Think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. It didn't take long in my coaching career at the time to, to learn how to get teenage young men's attention. In, in baseball, for example, you, if you wanted to get something across, you had to huddle them up. You had to get them all together. You couldn't just yell it across the mound. It wasn't as effective. So I jog out to the mound and say, all right, everybody on me. Let's go. And so they jog all the way from the outfield in, the infielders would come in, and the catcher would come around, and we, I'd stand on the top of the mound, and I would say, okay, here's what I want us to do. But before I said that was, give me eye contact. Listen up. And then I would tell them what I wanted them to know, what I wanted them to correct. This is what we're going to do. And then I would have one player, all right, Johnny, what are we going to do? Johnny would repeat it back, and it didn't take long for them to understand that if one of them started, just took their eyes off me and started to shuffle around or something like that, which in the beginning of the season someone always did, I'd stop talking. And all of a sudden, he'd look at me again, then I'd keep talking, and he would know he's the reason why I stopped talking. And then I'd say, all right, men, got it? Let's go. They'd go back, and we'd do the drill. The reason I share that with you is because we're in this series of emotionally healthy relationships, and today it's about listening, and that we might listen to others well, and they feel like they're being listened to and heard. Now, we're diving into the book of James, and as we heard James being read, one of the things that's so interesting about James is how no-nonsense James is. He is right to the point and gets right in your face and doesn't care what you think about him. This is grounded in the reality of God's love for us. And just, just in verse 18, if you have your Bibles with me in chapter 1, we didn't read verse 18. But verse 19 and beyond is grounded in verse 18. James says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. In other words, what James is saying is, we've been born again. That's an unbelievable statement. We're born again. We've all heard that term before, and it's a very negative phrase in our culture. It's kind of a nasty term, but it means a kind of Christian, right? But what James says, and what virtually every writer of the New Testament is saying, is to say someone's a born-again Christian is, is a redundancy. To be a Christian is to be born again. To be born again is to be a Christian. 
If you're not born again, the Bible says you're not a Christian. <laughs> if you haven't experienced a new birth, you're not a Christian at all. It's absolutely wrong to think about born-again Christians as a type of Christianity. John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. He didn't say, well, some of us need to be born again because we have an emotional need. No, you must be born again. It's all over the New Testament. 1 Peter 1.23, we are born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable the living and enduring Word of God. First John, it talks about we're born of God. And because we're born of God, we live in the light and so forth. Every single writer says it. It's not for just for some kind of Christians. It's for all professing Christians. Now, I know that there's some churches who never use this term. Or they never use the term new birth. What's put out there is through Jesus you can receive forgiveness and you try to do your very best to live according to his teachings. I thank God that's not Christianity. A born againless Christianity is a Christianity that leaves you with absolutely no resources to live it. Try your best and ask for forgiveness and maybe you'll make it. <laughs> God hasn't just given us forgiveness. He hasn't just given you a little jump start to get over the hump. He's given you a new life. He's given you a new nature. He's given you his own power to live. It's his nature, his substance, which is put into us. 2 Peter 1.4 says, we have been partakers of the divine nature. You know, there are many people out there who would say, across the West Shore, because uh, I've met them, you think all religions are just trying to find their way up the same mountain. We're finding our way up the same mountain, and everybody has a different way to try to get up to the top, right? Well, James is saying in verse 18, it's not a different way up the mountain. It's a whole different mountain we're talking about here. There's no other religion that makes such a claim. None. No other religion says you can be born again and also says you must be born again. And some of you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. What about those, those of you who were exposed to New Age religions 30 years ago? You heard them say, we all have God in us. We have the divine in us. We need the, to nurture the divine spark that's within us and so forth. But you have to remember that there's, that's a concept of God that those folks are dealing with, which is very different than what James is dealing with. There's a concept of God that says God is kind of a divine life force that can assist you to live. And as long as you get in touch with that and you meditate on that, then you can have a supernatural peace and what have you going forward. And you can do whatever that religion says for you to do, being filled with the force. And in that sense, it seems to be talking about the same thing, but it's not at all. This, what James is talking about, is the biblical God. 
The biblical conception of God is not that he's a force of creation. He existed before creation. Did you hear what we prayed in Psalm 148, verse 5? Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he spoke the word, and they were made. He commanded, and they were created. We prayed that. He existed before creation. He created what's here out of absolutely nothing. He's infinitely exalted above all creation. He plays with constellations like we have. We sift sand through our fingers. And this is the one we're told has imparted new life in you. A new nature. No other religion makes that the goal. No other religion has that mountain. This is a totally different mountain. It's either no mountain, the wrong mountain, or it's the right mountain. But it's not the same mountain. No other religion is saying to do this. No other religion says it can be done. No other religion says it must be done. But the Bible says, and James says, we're born again. But here's what's interesting about what we're going to study today. He says in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. At almost every other place in the New Testament, the author starts to delve into the mystery of that doctrine. That belief of being born again. How that happens to a believer. How the new life is implanted in us. Not James. James doesn't do that. He's very practical and pragmatic. And, and he goes right into uh, the second half of verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In other words, everything else in James is based on we're born again. Now we live, which gives us the next question. It naturally comes. Uh, well, if I'm born again, why am I not better at this? <laughs> why, why, why is it, uh, why am I not more remarkable than I should be <laughs> to the people around me? Sometimes we, we give ourselves a bad rap in the community, right? So James immediately goes into ways our lives ought to look. And what we're going to focus on is just verses 19 to 21 this morning and how we listen. With the first point being we listen to others incarnationally. And two, we listen to God through receiving the word of God. All right? So let's dive into this, shall we? First, listening incarnationally. He says in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone, every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Notice that as he begins to address the reader, he addresses the readers as my beloved brothers. And that includes females, okay, my beloved brothers and sisters. He wants us to know and understand that he loves us and identifies with us in this struggle. Know this, he's saying. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
So let's do some practical teaching this morning. Number one, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. If we want to be good ministers to other people and a good friend to others, we need to learn this. Quick to listen. Number one. The Jewish rabbis had a phrase, we have two ears and one mouth, we ought to listen twice as much as we talk. All right? So right out of the box, we need to ask ourselves, if that's the truth, there are some people in my life that could be greatly impacted if I'm quick to hear, quick to listen. As I follow this command, and notice, he's not giving us advice here, he's giving us a command. All right? Because we're safe. It's not all these things we're doing in the rest of the letter of James. That's going to give us favor to God. We have favor with God. Therefore, this is how we live. It's just who we are. Quick to listen. You've probably had a relationship, a spouse, a coworker, a friend, a child, or a parent. Someone who probably could have really benefited from you taking this command to heart and changing the way you approach them. And so let's, let's look at this just a second. Quick to listen. Is, is anybody good at this, quite frankly, <laughs> when you think about it? Good listening is a skill that we're going to dive into this week in our little churches. And if you're not in a little church, there's room in all of ours for another. All right? And we're going to... We're going to implement this skill. This is not a skill that you learn overnight. You just keep at it and keep at it. It's a tool for your tool belt, and you get right back at it. And if you ever get a chance to take David and Carol Ball's Christian Listening class, I would encourage you to do that. We were forming that. Many of you were part of that. Uh, we were forming that as a little church, you know, that once a month they'd gather together and just work on these skills. But uh, COVID happened, and... The rest is history. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as you know, David David has uh, got some breathing issues. And so we're just we're keeping them safe. But we're going to look at some basic listening skills this morning. If we want to listen to uh, somebody else well, and they feel like they're being heard, what do we have to do? First of all, eliminate distractions. And what is one of the main obstacles that keep us from listening to another person in our modern-day culture? Thank you, Tammy. This thing, all right? This thing. Just this past week, Kimmy and I were, she was sharing with me what was going on and how she, what the Lord was teaching her. And it was a deep truth of God. And for some reason, I had the, my phone on the table. We were eating dinner. I had my phone on the table. And it beeped. And I picked it up. And she said, that's it. I'm out. You know. And she just started to clean up. I deserved it. No, my friends. We eliminate distractions first. Don't get, just put your phone aside. All right. Two. Eye contact. You know, we taught our kids that when they were little, you know. Give me, look me in the eyes. Give me eye contact. Why? Because when you have eye contact, you have their will. You have their will, right? And it was, it was really interesting uh, that that carries, that, that sticks with them. I learned that before I had kids, and so I applied it when I had kids. And last year when Rebecca was living with us during the, the eight weeks of covid you know, she was talking to me, 
And I was distracted by something, probably my phone. And she goes, hey, Dad, eye contact. <laughs> 31 years old. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. No, friends, good listening means we eliminate distractions. Maybe you need to go in another room to have a conversation. Not because of privacy, just so you can focus on them. But maybe it is because of privacy. That's the first thing. Eliminate distractions. Two, repeat back the things that are being said by them to them. You know, paraphrase it. Not in a wooden way, but as a way for you to make sure for them you're getting the heart of what they're saying, and maybe you're paraphrasing it a little bit. That's fine. But the point is, you're listening in order to understand. You're not talking, all right? You're hearing what they're saying. Three, ask clarifying questions. They're talking about the stress of their day and everything they got going on. You know, a question would be, are you able to make a change in your schedule? Is that a possibility? Uh, why do you think you're, you're feeling this way? What's behind that? You know, just ask clarifying questions. And after, you know, just, again, repeating back the things that are being said so they're being heard. And last, listen how we might identify with what they're going through. In other words, we empathize, right? And just enter into where they are. And every time they're speaking, we don't run our mouths. We listen. We honestly listen. And when you start to ask questions and you start to clarify what they're saying and repeat back to them what they're saying, they begin to feel heard. All right? So what's the hard thing with all that? James is anticipating that, right? So be quick to hear or quick to listen, but also be slow to speak because what do we tend to do? We want to give advice. Right? As soon as they're done speaking, we dump on them the 10-step plan, action plan on how to fix it. Right? Gentlemen, are you paying attention? All right? We tend to do this. Right? You know, you think that's bad, you know, then you dump on it. That was my dad. You know, I'd come home and I'd say, I'm hungry. He'd say, you don't know hunger, boy. You know? You know, okay, Dad, you told me 150 times you grew up in the Depression and you didn't have food. I get it. But after 150 times, it kind of loses its punch, right? Okay? It's not helpful. I get it. I admire my father. He was a great guy. But, you know, I, okay, I don't know what hunger's like. I admit it. You know, the way you did. And I'm sorry you went through that. But the reality is, Let's be slow to speak back. Don't give advice. Listen to people. You know, that's not Christian listening. That's problem solving. They may not want you to solve the problem. Maybe they just need to process it by processing it out loud. So think about your spouse and the way you're slow to speak. Your parents. Your teenagers. Your children. Your grown children. Children. Friends and coworkers. When, when our kids were little, for example, we learned to be slow to speak rather than instantly correcting them. Um, when we first moved here, as you remember, uh, our boys were, were budding teenagers, and Zach was already a teenager. And so Kimmy and I decided we have to help them to be young men. So they're going to do their laundry and 
Zach had his on Monday, and Ben had his on Tuesday, and DT had his on Wednesday. He was only in fourth grade, but he could learn. He could learn. And so they were to take their laundry down on that day and wash it, change it over to the dryer, and then fold it. Ha! You know? You know? <laughs> and so we kind of learned, rather than just berating them for, for their, they, they got to the point where they didn't even take their, they didn't even wash their clothes. Okay? And so Kimmy's getting all upset, and I said, don't worry about it. They're going to smell, and some good-looking girl's going to say, you stink. It's okay. It's all right. You know? Um, I don't care. But if we said it once, we said it a thousand times. You know, your clothes are still down there. You need to get them out of there. And what would they do? They do what everybody does. But I'm so busy. I, I got practice. I had to go, Dad. Or, uh, but, 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 but I had homework to do, and I couldn't get it. So we kind of used the phrase, we called it the butt. You know, your butt's hanging out, you know. You know, you didn't want your little kids saying that when they were little. But your butt's hanging out, you need to get, do- get it done, you know. And just, just get it done, son, you can do this. And did they? Not really. Not really. It was a constant struggle for us. I'm just being honest with you. They, they you know, just the way it was. Some of their homes are clean today and some of their homes are not. And so, uh, you know, I'm not worried about that. You know, it's their lives, and they're married now. Woo, they're out of my house. Praise God. You know, you know. But our house is clean, you know. But the point is we didn't make a, a, a B issue an A issue. You know, you're a young man. This is what we do. We take care of the stuff we've been given. But we were slow to speak by just, you know, the same thing with the cleaning their room. You know, just they're, they're <laughs> just close the door, boom, out of sight, out of mind, you know. And uh, on once, once a week on Saturdays, boom, clean this. And they would. I'm coming back up for inspection in an hour, you know, because you're a young man, and young men take care of the things they've been given or have. And so, yeah, yeah. And so they'd clean, they'd clean their room. They'd clean their room. I'd come back up. And it was pretty clean. wasn't great. wasn't like Kim would do it, but it was clean enough. And I'd come back up an hour, and it's messy again. You know, you know, they they couldn't. They they had laundry basket. They couldn't throw it in the laundry basket. They just throw it on the floor. You know, like okay. And then by Wednesday, there's no there's no space on the floor. So I just close the door. Boom. I'll pick my battles. But you see, the point is. Saturday, I'd deal with it. I didn't deal with it Monday through Friday, you know, so I could be slow to speak. So I want to encourage you. Pick your battles. Listen and slow to speak. You know, they don't need your advice off the bat. What they need to do is hear you, okay, or they, them to be heard. And finally, be slow to anger. When we listen to people, even if it's something that's their fault, if we listen to people and we're slow to speak, you'll find you won't be as angry, even if they've messed up multiple times, all right? People hate James because James calls balls and strikes. He just does. But if we're quick to listen and slow to to speak, it's much easier. You won't be angry as much. You'll be diffused, all right? 
We get angry. We should be getting angry at the things the Lord gets angry at, not at these B issues. Okay. So what if we made our words few and our ears big and our actions meaningful in being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Who lives this way, right? You start wondering, oh, my gosh, you know. Well, James doesn't leave us to that. He turns us immediately to how we can be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger by receiving the word Verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness the implanted word. How do we receive the implanted word? Where he's already told us how to do it with others. So he's implying this is how we do it with the Lord. Okay? So number one, How do you receive the implanted word? Number one, you eliminate distractions. Set aside a time on your calendar for your time with the Lord. This is my time. It's an appointment. I'm not going to break it. You wouldn't miss that doctor's appointment. You're not going to miss this. All right? Put your cell phone away. It's just you and him. Open up the Bible because this is the primary way he speaks and receive it. As you read it, ask him to speak to you through it, you know, and as he does, because he will, ask clarifying questions, you know, something jumps off the page. Lord, what did you mean by quick to hear? Do some research, slow to speak, slow to anger, and write it down in a journal of some kind, whatever it might be. Ask clarifying questions of the passage. And then apply it. Go through those steps before you apply it. It's never a bad thing to ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? But it's not a good thing if you ask that question before you ask, what does this text mean? What does it say? Not what do I want it to say. All right? We must become good listeners to what the Lord says first and then apply it to our lives, all right? And then after we've gone through this, then we go into our time of prayer, all right? We receive the word, and then we go into our time of prayer using the five targets of the Lord prayer would be my suggestion. Five targets, what are they? Number one, God's honor. My Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a prayer, by the way. That in my life, you would be magnified. Jesus, may this day you be glorified in my living, in my being, and in my doing, and all that I say. And do. All right? That's a prayer. Hallowed be your name, number one. Two, his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Reign in me. Reign in my loved ones. Reign in my, my friends and my family, whatever it might be. But, but God's kingdom would be noticed in his kingdom people. His reign would be evident in each and every one of us. Three, give us this day our daily bread, which means God's provision. You're praying for things. You, you, what do you want God to do in your life? Pray it there. Right? 
four, confession. Because I'll bet you sometime in reading the word and sometime in prayer, things will come to your mind which you've fallen short on. The Holy Spirit is convicting you to bring that to your Heavenly Father who loves you so, so you get it off your chest. Right then and there. He's seated at the right hand of the Father mediating for you right now. Confess it. And it's gone forever. All right? And last, that you would go forth from that day with God's honor. Living for God's honor that day. That's the five targets of the Lord's Prayer. And we need to get to that after the time. And then, obviously, so we're, we're, we're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Well, it doesn't seem like that's applicable to our relationship with the Lord, does it? No, it's very applicable to what we have to say in our relationship to the Lord. It's the perfect book to talk about it. Why would anybody be angry with what the Lord says? Because when you're reading it through, or you're sitting at a sermon, and the preacher says something, and you're feeling convicted about your sin, sometimes your first response is to get angry. If you've walked with the Lord at any time, that is normal. Okay? Isn't it? And we tend to self-justify. You're coming under conviction and you don't like it and you want to answer back. Lord, I know I was impatient with so-and-so, but. Lord, I know I should have called this person, but. Whatever it might be. We all have measures for things we didn't do that we know we should have done. But if we were quick to listen to the Lord, slow to speak, and, but when we do speak, it's intentional, and made our words few and set aside our anger on what the Lord has said, and be defensive about it, we let the Word do its work in our hearts, and we're transformed. Why? Because who is slow to anger with you? It was Jesus on the cross who said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Luke 23, 24. The Lord himself, who had every reason to be angry with you, has set his anger aside by placing on the one who he was never angry with. Jesus received the full outpouring of the Father's wrath instead of us. But we get angry when he calls us on our sin. And when he does, he does it in a way that's always for our good. It's a good and perfect gift when scripture brings us under conviction. Because our God is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger with us. May we be so with his word and with others around us. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, the teenager Eutychus fell asleep at church and fell out of a third-story window and died. I think Eutychus gets a bum rap. I want to name one of my boys Eutychus. Kimmy wouldn't have it, you know. You know, Eutychus. Eutychus. 
Eutychus, you know, he put himself to hear the word. And if you read Acts chapter 20, it's midnight. When's the last time you had a Bible study at midnight? You know? Think about that. They probably ate dinner a little late. Back then they drank a little wine probably too. You know? Uh, he said he fell asleep. Um, he did what he could to place himself in the position to hear and understand the word of God. So the question for us is, are we doing the same? What about us? We hear the word of God at church. We hear it uh, in our own time. We hear it on our podcast, but are we alive to it? James' words are for the church of every age. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and receive the implanted word. If we have received the word planted in us, there's only one thing to do. Listen. Read it. Be still and listen and worship. In closing, the, the best ball club I ever teach was ever coached was not the most talented. It was it was a group of young men who listened well. They hung on every word that I said. And all of a sudden we found ourselves an above average team, but not a great team. In the state semifinals, we go to the, the ball field, which is where the Orioles single A Joe Cannon Stadium in Timonium, Maryland. And we walk on the field. We've never seen grass like this. We're like checking the grass. This is amazing. You know? You know? And the kids are like running on it and rolling on it. They go, Coach, this is incredible. I go, you're rolling over a sprinkler head. Watch it, son. You know, it was hilarious. These kind of country kids from Southern Maryland going to Baltimore outside. Side. It, it's just an amazing group of kids. They were fun. And the coaches, as they're kind of rolling around, we look at each other. What, what are we doing here? We don't belong here. We have no business being here because we're looking at another team and they're really good. We gave them a run for the money. We didn't win that ball game, but we gave them a run for their money. And you know what? It was a phenomenal experience. Why? Because they listened and obeyed what we told them to do. My friends, because you're a child of God, because you were born again, this is how we live. Let's listen incarnationally this week. If you're in a little church, let's do the work this week. And as we do so, may God be glorified and our hearts further warm to the reality of his grace for us. He listens to us who has every right to be angry. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you're not angry with us and it's in Jesus Christ. We have not only a relationship with you, but we can flourish in you. We pray now, Lord, that you'd be absolutely pleased with us because we're seeking to receive your word. And if there's any way we need to do that in a, in a better way than we have been, Lord, that you would convict us to do just that. To set aside time. To ask questions. To listen well.
and Lord, to, to write it down so that we might follow you in a wholehearted, devoted way and put away all the ways of this world which are holding us back, Lord. Lord, we do receive this word. And in so doing, we would be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And that our families, our friends, our coworkers would notice that you have risen, Lord Jesus. And it is true. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.